probably. You good? Are you change anything? Add anything? No, I'll read it. Uh, I'll start reading Kings. Yeah, it's our, I just want the authority. All right, good morning, Overland. We're going to start this morning by reading our scripture. As you're finding your seats, we're going to read from Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is God's word for us this morning. Well, good morning and welcome to Overland Church. Y'all go ahead and stand with us as we worship this morning. We're gonna sing he's coming on the clouds. Kings and kingdoms will bow down. He's coming on the clouds. Kings and kingdoms will bow down. And every chain will break as broken hearts declare his praise. For who can stop the Lord Almighty? Our God is the Lion, the Lion of Judah. He's roaring with power and fighting our battles. And every knee will bow before Him. Our God is the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain. For the sins of the world, His blood breaks the chains. And every knee will bow before the Lion and the Lamb. Every knee will bow before him. Whoa, whoa. So open up the gates, make way before the King of Kings. So open up the gates, make way before the King of Kings. The God who comes to save is here to set the captives free. For who can stop the Lord Almighty? Our God is the Lion, the Lion of Judah. He's roaring with power and fighting our battles. And every knee will bow before Him. Our God is the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain. For the sins of the world, His blood breaks the chains. Every knee will bow before the lion and the lamb. Every knee will bow before him. Sing out this morning, who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? 
can stop the Lord Almighty? Who 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 can stop the Lord? Our God is the Lion, the Lion of Judah. He's roaring with power and fighting our battles. And every knee will bow before Him. Our God is the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. His blood breaks the chains. And every knee will bow before the Lion and the Lamb. Every knee bow before Him. be seated. Good morning and welcome to Overland Church. We're so glad that you're here. It's good to be worshiping together. Uh, this morning we had a great first service and I mean, look forward to what's going to happen in second service. Uh, let me introduce you to somebody real quick in case you don't know him, though many of you do. This is Josh Cowling. Uh, Josh, is uh, he's been coming around since middle of December and uh, is a worship leader and with Josh Wisda is out today. Josh Wisda is on one of those... Um, weekend-long bachelor parties that the kids do now. He's on one of those, and so, so he's got a friend getting married. He's in that stage. Everybody gets married um, all the time, so Josh is filling in. So welcome, welcome, Josh. Thanks for leading this morning. Brandon uh, Dupre is, is at another church preaching this morning, one of our other church, uh, church partners, somebody that, that we kind of love on and care for. pastor called me and said, hey, do you have anybody that can preach for me? And I was like, man, Brandon can preach. So Brandon's down there preaching, but he'll be back in time for lunch because college, college students, you have uh, over lunch today, and we invite you to over lunch. Anyway, you'll talk, hear more about that. Um, hey, I want to just, again, if you're, if you're a visitor, I want to say welcome. Thanks so much for coming today. It means a lot that you would, would uh, join us and just know that you're not just welcome here, but you're also uh, wanted here. We'd love for you to be a part of what the Lord is doing it at Overland Church. Um, and at our church, we've got some growing pains. And uh, man, the Lord has, has grown us. He's growing us. First service this morning was packed. Uh, there weren't a lot of seats uh, left in the first service. And uh, most of the ones who were were like right up here for some reason. Uh, the back was packed, you know. And so here, here's what, and you know, you've heard me kind of say that second service is kind of bipolar. It's like, once, like last week, there was a lot of people. The week before, there wasn't. Today, it's kind of in the middle. It's kind of all over the place. Well, this is actually uh, a problem that we created. And so the way that our church works is we have two services, 9 and 1130. Uh, two, those are the two services. In the first service, we only offer uh, kids, kids care up to, I think it's four years old. I always get that wrong, but I think it's four years old. In the second service, so right now, there's kids, there's kids ministry all the way up through fifth grade. There's student ministry, 6th through 12th grade, and there's an adult class. 
And so as we're growing and expanding and we're kind of kicking around like what's kind of our next moves to grow, here's our next step. And that is to add kids ministry up to fifth grade and a, an adult class. We're going to keep students together. So if you have students that want to go to that class, you still come to the first worship service and then stay after. But we're making it where people who can come and go to an adult class, their kid can have a class, and then they can come to the second service. And that actually take, could take about 25 to 30 people out of the first service and put them in this service. And then we can fill up both services. Uh, that, so that's kind of our next, next step. So I'm telling you that because what I'm about to tell you is really important. In order for us to do that or to go to three services, either way, like we've done the math, in order for us to do that, we need to add more people serving. We need more people to get involved and to share the, the workload around our church. And so on March 5th, um, just in a few weeks, between the two services, we're going we're gonna to have a serve uh, fair. And so you can come. It's going to be in the lodge. We're going to have donuts. So you can come early. You can learn about the different ministries to serve in and how to get connected and how to plug in to serve and that same March 5th, we're going to have a Overland, like an intro to Overland, Overland 101 course uh, right after church where we'll, we'll have that same surf fair. You can come visit and then you can stay for a quick lunch and kind of hear about the vision and mission of our, of our church. It's kind of an invitation to get on board. So that's March 5th. We know we need to add people in every ministry, greeting, worship, uh, tech. Uh, we have kind of have a list of ministries, but just know this. We need you in kids' ministry. Uh, we need you to serve in kids. I, we have a ton of kids at our church. Uh, not too long ago, I did the math, and on, t- just picked a particular Sunday, and I, d- I did the math, and 50% of our church was under the age of 22. Um, of that 50%, there is a bunch of those that, that are about yay <laughs> You know, we have a lot of kids at, at our church when I was doing that number, I also found a really, uh, another really neat statistic. It's not really relevant, but I think it's, it's really cool. Is that on any given Sunday, that a quarter of our kids in kids' ministry are from foster or adoptive families. And so that just shows you, man, what the Lord has done in our church. That's unique. That's not at every church. But the Lord has really given us, um, as a church, a, a heart for the widow and the orphan, and to live our, keep ourselves unstained from the world. And so pray, praise be to God for that. So, hey, just accept my invitation uh, to come. If you're not serving, if you're not on a, a serve team, to come and to hear about ministries that you can serve in. All right? All right, that being said, let's go ahead and stand. And let's go to the Lord in prayer as we prepare our hearts for worship this morning. So, Father, we come to you, God, thankful for your church, the church body. Thank you for the gathering of the, the saints, the ecclesia, the, the, the people who are in this room. And Lord, today would you work in our hearts? Would you soften our hearts to you? Or as we talk about your authority, would you give us hearts of thanksgiving? When we talk about your authority, would you give us minds of wonder and awe. And Lord, would you give us the disposition of obedience? Lord, today move and work in our midst. As we gather today, God, we're asking that you would meet us here, that you would not leave us where we are, but you would work in us, 
change us. Don't let us come in and leave just as we are. But Lord, let our hearts be surrendered to you this morning. And so, Father, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for who you are and what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's continue in worship. defender suffered and crucified forgiveness is in him our judge and our defender suffered and crucified forgiveness is in you descended into darkness you rose in glorious light Ever seated high, I believe in God our Father, I believe in Christ the Son, I believe in the Holy Spirit, our God is three in one, I believe in the resurrection.
believe in life eternal. I believe in the virgin birth. I believe in the saints' communion and in your holy church. I believe in the resurrection when Jesus comes again. For I believe in the believe in the resurrection that we will rise again for I believe in the name of Jesus for I believe in the name of Jesus for I believe in the name of
be seated. Thanks, guys. You're in a parking lot owned by, let's say, King Supers. And in that parking lot, I mean, the parking lot is empty. There's nobody in it, right? There's nobody in the parking lot. There's no cars in the parking lot. It's Christmas morning, 6 a.m., right? Things been closed. Everything's closed. You're in that parking lot, you're driving, and there's a stop sign. Do you have to stop at that stop sign? Yes or no? If you have to stop at that stop sign, raise your hand. Okay, there's a handful. And if you don't have to stop at the stop sign, raise your hand. All the people who have authority issues, keep your hands in the air. Um, I, listen, I have authority. Oh, i got a cop in the room. <laughs> I just looked back and I was like, i got a cop in the room. He can, he can tell this is true. Uh, it's private property, right? That, that, it is private property. Look, I can take and put a stop, lot, stop sign in front of my yard, and you don't have to stop in front of my house. Why? Because I don't have authority to put that stop sign there. That, that stop sign 
is not under judicial authority. I have authority issues, so I ask questions like that all the time. Um, I'll, I'll just be <clears throat> transparent. I have struggled with authority issues my, my in, entire life. I always ask why. I always go, what makes you in charge? What makes you think you're a better leader than me? Or what? Like I always like buck up and kind of ask these questions. I have literally my entire life. Now, if there's a, if there's a good leader... And, and I respect their authority, man, I can get behind them, and I can follow them, and I can go, but man, the boss said, like, I can get, get on board. The boss said, we'll, we'll do that. Um, but I, I struggle, and it goes back, I mean, it goes back to my childhood. My dad uh, would tell me to do things, and I would, I would be like, but I, no, that sounds like a bad idea. Why would I do that? You know, and I'm like eight, and he's like, because I said so. And um, I'll, I'll never forget this weird thing he said to me one time. He said, looked at me and said, son, who died and made you jello, sheriff? And I was like, what? Jello, sheriff? I could be sheriff of jello. I could take that leadership position. I could be responsible for all the jello. Now, come to find out, it comes from a skit. It's like a comedy skit where there's two, there's two brothers, and the dad comes in the room, and... Um, the, the, one, of the, one of the brothers tells on the other brother and says, Dad, he's eating a jello and he's already had a jello. And the brother looks at the other one and goes, Who died and made you jello, Sheriff? Right? And, and, and the brothers question the authority. And man, that's just been, that's been my, that, that, that's my, my life. And I think that's probably many of us. I think many of us really struggle with authority issues. And here's the definition of authority. It's the power or right to give orders, make decisions, and enforce obedience. That's the definition of authority. And here's ultimately, I think, what is true for most of us. Is that we want to be the authority in our own life. And what's hard about coming to Christ, what's hard about coming to Jesus is when we come to Jesus, we say, Jesus, you are Lord. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raises him from the dead, you will be saved. And so that, that is a profession that Jesus is king, that he's Lord, that he's ruler, that he's the authority, and that we're not. And so today, as we open up God's word, I believe that we're going to see this. This is the big truth that I want us to grasp from today. And the faster we get this truth, and the faster we submit our lives to it, and the faster we obey this, the better off we're going to be. And so here's the big truth. Is that Jesus is the ultimate authority. That Jesus is the ultimate authority. We're going to be in the book of Luke, chapter 4, continuing through the book of Luke. And I'll just take us back uh, two weeks ago. We talked about Jesus and the temptation, it being in the, in the desert when Satan tempts Jesus. And then last week as he preaches in the synagogue in Nazareth and Jesus is rejected by his own people. And so we see that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. And today we're going to see a much different response than what happened in Nazareth. So start reading with me in verse 31. Uh, there's several stories that, that kind of are connected here. 
We're going to go ahead and read through all of them so that we can follow along with the narrative, and then we'll go back and we'll take it apart. So verse 31, And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his words possessed authority. In the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you done to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. And reports about him went out in every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and he left the synagogue and he entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of the man, crying, You are the Son of God! But he rebuked them. It would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went to a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him. And when he would have kept him from leaving them, but he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. All right, let's go back, to, back up to the top, back to verse 31. And so he leaves, he goes down to Capernaum, he leaves Nazareth, and so he's still, though, in the area of Galilee, and he was teaching on the Sabbath, which we learned last week was his custom. He showed up to the synagogues, and he showed up to teach. That's how they first had entry into a community. This is a little different, though, at Nazareth. Remember last week, last week there was a bit of awe, a bit of what's going on with this little boy that we used to know, but this week's different. It says, they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. Here's the first big idea that I want you to grasp, and it's this, that Jesus' words possessed authority because he is the author of all things. Jesus' words possessed authority because he is the one who created all things. He's the one who sustains all things. He's the inventor of all things. And so since he's the author, he has ultimate authority. Now, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all the, the synoptic gospels, give an account of the story. But Matthew gives us a little detail that I want to show you. Matthew chapter 7, verse 28 and 29 this is kind of the same verse almost. And when Jesus finished saying these things, the crowd were astonished at his teaching, for his teaching was, uh, t- for his, he was teaching them as one who had authority. But then he adds this, and not as their scribes. The people who were hearing Jesus teach saw a big difference in Jesus' teaching and the scribes' teaching. 
So let me point out a few, a few of those things that we can just look at Scripture and we know uh, from Scripture. One, we know that Jesus spoke the truth. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Um, Jesus was the truth. No one comes to the Father except through the Son. Uh, other places we see uh, his word, his word is truth, right? We see that Jesus spoke the truth. There was no lie, there was no measure of deceit in Jesus. It was true. But there's other places in Scripture that we see that the scribes were full of deceit. They were full of lies. They, they said things that weren't necessarily true, they were lies. But they also spent a whole lot of time, what we know from other, other ancient writings, is that the scribes spent a whole lot of time quoting other people. And Jesus wasn't spending time quoting just in any, anybody or quoting this scholar, the people who were still alive. He spent time quoting the Old Testament, the things that he spoke we know to be truth. Here's the, here's the next, next way in which it was different. He presented matters of great significance, matters of life, matters of, of death, uh, matters of, of eternity, what your life is, is, is going to be like forever. Like he, he, Jesus preached about things that will matter in a million years. But what we see in Scripture is that often the scribes wasted their time on little things. We know that the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, we often said they majored on the minors. They, they focused on the very minor things of Scripture. Listen to what Matthew records for us in Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. He says, Woe to you, scribes, and this is Jesus saying this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, Hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. And so he's pointing out that the scribes were so meticulous and, and dedicated that they went to their spice cabinet and opened it up and tithed off of it. Like, can you imagine them laying out their cumin and going, all right, let's divide it ten times. Here's the biggest tenth. Because it ain't perfect. And we're going to give that. We're going to make a sacrifice with that. It says that there, there were details. They were in the things that, that majored in the minors, the things that didn't matter, while leaving out the major themes of, of justice and mercy and faithfulness. They... they, they um, they preached this legalism and left out the good news of the, mess, the message of God. Here's the next thing, is that there was a system to his preaching. We can look at Jesus' preaching, and man, Jesus was, the, we, we, we say this, like Jesus was the best preacher that has ever lived. There was a system to it. It, it makes sense. When you read what Jesus says, it, it's coherent. It... it, it you can string it together. It's collective. It doesn't, no, nowhere along the way um, are there any places where it contradicts itself. It re references the Old Testament. It does all these things. We often say um, in, in the preaching world that you shouldn't try to preach like Jesus because you're not Jesus. Right? Jesus had a way of preaching that no man could do, the way in which he would um, ask questions and do things. So that brings up this, this point that he had this exciting... Uh, curiosity that would happen with his preaching. He was the master at asking questions. He, he made the, these incredible illustrations. And those illustrations caused minds to think and to ask and to reflect. The scribes weren't like that. The scribes rambled on and on. We see a lot of times that even the things that they said and do in their liturgy that they would use, it didn't make sense. 
They rambled on and on. Anybody ever been in a church service where the pastor gets up and he preaches and he just rambles on and on and on? No? Just Ray? Sorry, Ray. I think I was the one preaching. Um, sorry about that. Um, no, I've, I have been in some situations where the guy's preaching and I'm like, I'm not sure if this is a church service or a hostage situation. <laughs> like, how are we ever going to get out of here? And you're like, I'll see like, okay, he can land the plane right here. It's coming. And then he like misses the runway. And I'm like, oh no, we got to circle again. And he goes on and on. And yeah, again, I'm sorry about that. It was really me. Uh, they didn't. His preaching wasn't boring. His, 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 his preaching was boring. I would remind you that Paul was preaching one time and a guy fell asleep and fell out of the window and landed, right? You never see that happen to Jesus. Jesus had his audience held him captive. They were in awe and wonder. The scribes were boring. Here I think one of the bigger distinctions is that when Jesus preached, he preached from a place of love. Like you could tell when you read Jesus' preaching, when you read the Sermon on the Mount, he cares about the people that he's preaching to. And it is his kindness that is going to lead them to repentance. It is his love for them that's going to cause them to love him. That's what the beauty of Scripture. But what we see of the scribes and Pharisees that so often their preaching was from a place of hate. It was from a place of resentment. It was a, it was a, pl- a place of disdain. You horrible, wretched sinners. Not... Oh, leave the sin and come to the Savior. There was a difference. But most importantly, this is what I want you to see today. Is that he spoke with authority. The scribes had no authority. They had nothing to lean on. But Jesus, this is what they said that was different. They were astonished for he was teaching them as one who had authority. We live in a, in a pretty... Interesting time. We live in the information age. And man, if something goes wrong or you need to know how to do something, it's like pretty easy to figure out how to do it, isn't it? You just need to go do what? Watch a YouTube video. That's all you got to do. Day before uh, Thanksgiving, it might, it might have actually been Thanksgiving morning, um, Jennifer goes to start cooking and she turns on the oven and the oven will not heat up. Everything's closed already. Thank goodness we, made, we were up here on Thanksgiving Day cooking for our guest over in, in the kitchen, right? Thank goodness we had ovens, which we went a long time without. Um, but after Thanksgiving comes and goes, that, that, next, that next day, while you guys were Black Friday shopping, I was taking apart an oven and watching YouTube videos. And so, man, I figured out from YouTube um, what was wrong with my, my oven? I ordered a $18 part off of Amazon, and I fixed my oven. Had this thing all taken apart, right, all from YouTube videos. And now, I'm an expert on ovens and can speak with authority about them. So if something is wrong with your oven, you just let me know, and I can tell you how to fix it. Isn't that funny? How we think that, like we, we literally will do something once and think that because we've watched videos that we like know what we're doing. We'll, we'll watch some, some documentary on Netflix about rock climbing and all of a sudden we're like, heading up our cap next, you know, like we've never climbed anything. And somehow we've like been convinced that we're authority on climbing. What is that, a V7? Like, what does that even mean, right? Like, you don't know. You don't know. I don't know. I'll never forget one time um, this 17-year-old boy is having a conversation with these grown women 
about having children. <laughs> this 17-year-old boy, and I'm like, dude, you don't know. Well, I've got a mom and sisters. You still don't know. I'm an uncle. You think you didn't have them? Shut up. Like, learn. This is like major deal. Learn. Anyway, that young man's name was Zachary Taylor Thurman. And uh, <laughs> it was me. I just used to be a know-it-all, and not a lot's changed. Um, that's a joke. I've never pretended to know about childbearing. Um, we often pretend that we're the authority. We want to be the authority. We want to, be, to, we want to know. We want to do. But the truth is, we are not the authority. Jesus spoke with authority because he was the authority, because he was the author of all things. Listen in verse 33. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And so one of, the, one of the, the scholars that I read this week on this is like that demon was perceiving that this, is, that this is the Holy One of God and he's come not to just destroy him but all demons. He's asking, are you coming to get rid of all of us? Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent and come out of him. And so he wanted him silent so that that he couldn't tell, so that he couldn't tell this is, this is Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords. It wasn't that time for this, the Messiah, to be revealed. So he rebukes him, says, be quiet. And man, remember, Luke is a physician. That's what Luke does. Luke is a physician. I think this is an interesting note. When the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done no harm to him. And so he sees that the, the demon had him. He's, he's shaking, convulsing, whatever. He throws him on the ground, but yet God kept him from being hurt. And so listen to what is said by the, those around. They were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. Here's the next thing I would show you is that Jesus has authority over Everything. There's not one molecule. There's not one little enzyme, one little atom in the universe in which Jesus does not have authority, including demons. A few weeks ago, uh, when I preached and I handled the, the passage of, of Satan, I remember I, I just I, I used this illustration to say, what, what if I told you there was something that, that most of People who've ever lived over most of time have believed in this, but the American church doesn't. And what was, what was it that the American church doesn't believe in, but most of the people in all of time have? Satan and his demons, right? And so I believe, I, I preached that, and then, man, then came the Grammys, then came the Super Bowl performance, and now everybody all of a sudden believes in demons and the Illuminati and all this stuff. And I'm like, oh, man, y'all are more spiritual than I thought. Like, like well, maybe, maybe Americans do think Satan is real. Um, so I've seen a lot of that. Like, did you, you know, don't, don't watch it. It's going it's to be possessed, right? So, hey, glad we're all on the same page now. Demons are real. Satan is, Satan is real. But I would remind you of this. I would go back into the beginning of chapter 4. Satan did not win that. 
Satan does not win in the end. Satan didn't win any get piece of that. The only authority that Satan has is that which God has allowed him to have. And he does not have authority over Jesus. He would have won there in the garden, but in the in in the, I'm sorry, in the desert. But the that Satan resisted. I mean, Jesus resisted Satan. Satan failed at his attempt, and Jesus had authority over everything, including this this demon. Here's what I would, would show you: that all throughout the Gospels that we're going to see that Jesus has authority over everything. Matthew chapter eleven, verse twenty-seven: All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal to him. So you see that? All things have been handed over from God to the Son, meaning God has given the Son, Jesus, authority. John 3.35 The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Again, he's given all things, including his authority, into his hand. John 13, 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, knelt down and washed the apostles' feet. So notice that language. He's given all things into his hand. He's given all authority. He's given everything. And what did Jesus do with his authority but kneel down and do the job of a servant? He served with his authority. John chapter 17. Uh, man, maybe one of the, 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 this, the high priestly prayer. Maybe one of the more powerful things that you'll ever read in Scripture. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh. To give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And so, this in the giving of people, in the, in the drawing of people unto God, the ones that, that God would save, he's saying that God is giving Jesus authority over them. That is what this prayer screams. And then Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20. God raised him from the dead, and he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And so, here we see that he's got this heavenly authority, this rule, this power and dominion. He is the name that is above every name. At his name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's got ultimate authority. There's nothing that he doesn't have authority over. Every king, every ruler, every government, every rich person, every poor person, every arrogant person, every humble person, every person who's ever pulled it up from their bootstraps, every person who's tried to control their own world, every, every person who's dependent on their own strength, wealth, intelligence, he has authority over them all. He's got authority over you, and he's got authority over me, whether we like it or not. 
And I'm going to show you why that's a good thing. Verse 38, and he arose and he left the synagogue and he entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and he rebuked the fever and it left her and she immediately rose and began to serve them. Here's the next big idea that I would show you is that one of our responses to Jesus' authority is service. Now, it's not the only response to Jesus' authority. There, 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 are, there is awe, there is obedience, there is worship. There's a lot of things, but one of them is service. We, we often talk about authority. We talk about authority, we think about authority, we buck against it. We don't, we don't like it, we don't trust it, right? It, it, when, when, when we talk about certain things... It's like, yeah, I'm going to do it, but that's not easy for me to do. Let me give you an example. The Bible tells us to render to Caesar what is Caesar. Does anybody just like paying taxes? All right, no one likes paying taxes. I struggle, right? I struggle rendering to Caesar what is Caesar's. Um, literally, when we write our tax check, I do not mail it till April 15th at like 4 p.m., like, I give myself a little time to make sure something bad doesn't happen on the way to the post office. But I'm like, I'm, I'm going to give the government as little time as possible to poorly steward my money, right? Jennifer's work has this saying where they say, um, do more with less. And in a conversation the other day, we were talking, and, and she misquoted it, and she said, do less with more. And then we both laughed and went, oh, you don't work for the federal government, right? <laughs> do less with more. That's like our motto. Sometimes I'll be talking with Carl Wilson, and Carl, Carl Wilson, um, he's a, a structural engineer for bridges, and he's talking about some of these, like this one elaborate bridge, that if you're on the way down I-25, and you like see the big old metal, the, the big old concrete chunk coming up in the middle of the road, and he was like telling me how much that bridge cost and what its purpose was, I was like, if I-25 doesn't make you not trust the government enough... Right? At, at all. Like when you see like, oh, let's spend a bajillion dollars on a bridge for look pretty. You know, like, I, no, I have authority issues. Like I, I don't trust you with my money. Therefore, I begrudgingly do it. Right? And man, that's not the right heart attitude. That's just me being real and transparent. And man, y'all know I'm a sinner. Uh, that's not her response, is it? She's not serving out of duty here. Like we, we render to Caesar what is Caesar. This is, it's, what, it's, our, it's our duty. It's part of our living here. But it's not necessarily delightful. That's not what she does. He heals her. She's sick. She's got a fever, right? And, and man, I don't guess she could just take like Tylenol, right? She couldn't go to the medicine cabinet and get her whatever it is that you take to knock your fever down. Um, she's sick. She could die. She could die from a, a, a high fever. One of our boys asked us the other day if you could have, like, how high of a fever can you get without dying? I was like, I don't, I don't know. Um, I don't know. Like, isn't it wild to think that your body, like, normally operates at, what, 97 point something? And if it were hit 107, I think you'd probably die, right? So that's wild to think about a 10 degree difference in, in, in your body. Here, she has this fever. He heals her from it. And in, in healing her from it, she gets up and begins to serve him. She, she gets up. What is the motive for that? 
It's a, the motive is thank, thankfulness, right? It's thanksgiving. It's like the authority that he had, she's submitting her life to it and going, man, if he can run off my fever, I'm going to live my life for him. If, 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 she, if he can save people, if he can heal people, if he can do these things, man, he's, he's got authority, and I'm going to submit my life to him. She didn't serve out of duty, but rather she served out of delight. She delighted in what the Lord had done, and she served out of it. At Overland Church, we talk about service. Service is important. I believe when we, we open up the Bible throughout it, we see one of the main things that Christians are called to is service. And so for us, it's proclaim, disciple, serve, and multiply. Those are kind of the four pillars that we see in Scripture that we've built, built our church on. And so we often say that the highest thing that you can aspire to be is a servant. There's nothing better that you can do with your time and your energy than to serve others, to consider others more significant than yourself. And the reward for serving Jesus is great. And so one of our responses to his authority is to go, he's king of kings, he's lord of lords, and I'm going to be in his army. I'm going to be his servant. I'm going to serve the Lord. Jesus said that he came uh, not to, to uh, be served, but to serve and get his, give his life for a ransom for many. Praise God. Verse 40. Now, when the sun was settling, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Now, I want to note for you something. This is different. Prior to this, you don't see, see people getting their hands laid on. Like, you don't, you don't bring somebody to the, to the scribes or the Pharisees so that they could lay hands on them and heal them. This is new. This is, this is a new thing. Let's think about this. In the Old Testament, when somebody had leprosy, did they bring them to the religious people so that they could touch them and heal them? No. They didn't want to get leprosy because they, they didn't have authority over leprosy. They didn't, want to, they didn't want to get it. So what did they do but say, keep them away and yell, unclean, unclean? That's not what Jesus did. He, this is not what he did with his, with his, his authority. He, he brings them. He lays hands on them and he healed them. Also, we see demons here again came out of many crying, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak. Because they knew that he was the Christ. So again, it wasn't yet his time for it to be revealed that he was the Christ. Verse 42. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Now, I've got two big ideas that I want to, want to pull from this that I want to show you. Here's the first one. Jesus uses his authority for our good and his Father's glory. Jesus' authority isn't used for his own good. It's used for our good and his Father's glory. Man, most, most worldly leaders that, that we think about, when we think about leaders, when we think about government officials, when we think about presidents, when we would go back into the Bible and we would think about Caesar, uh, we, we would think about people in history like Napoleon or whoever you will, you see people who use authority for their own power and their own gain, right? 
our, most of our leaders, we often call them public servants, right? They're a public servant. But man, how do you go into Congress with one amount of wealth and it exponentially increase? How do you do that unless you're being self-serving, right? It's, it's what happens. We, we think of it that way. But not Jesus. Jesus' authority is used to heal. Like they bring them to him. He, he heals them. We see the demons go out. It, we just keep going in Scripture. We see the acts of Jesus, the things that he does, all the way through the Gospels, and over and over and over, we're going to see that his authority is used for our good. He cares about his children. He cares about his people. And so the things that he does with his authority, they ultimately benefit you. Often we don't look at it and think, oh, God is doing this to benefit me. We look at the, 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 the rules, the, the laws, the things that God has called sin and put in place. And we're like, why is that prohibitive to me? Why can't, why can't, I, why can't I do that? God must not like me. God must not want me to do that. In reality, we're looking at it wrong. We're going, okay, um, we're seeing this God as this, the, the wrong type of authority. He's a loving father figure. Man, my boys were sitting in here last service and... You know, I think my boys very much respect my authority because they know that my authority is for their good. They know that my intentions for them are good. They know that I don't want to harm them. That my chief goal in life isn't to make them miserable, right? That it's not to, to be the, the, the Debbie Downer or whatever, but my goal is to, to shepherd them, to teach them, to raise them to be the best godly young men that I can because I love them, because I care for them. You know, I'm not a perfect father, and, and you know what? There probably are times where I'm like, hey, go get me a Diet Mountain Dew, and I use my authority because uh, I'm lazy, right? Absolutely, I'm not perfect. But our Heavenly Father is perfect, and His authority is perfect. And so He uses it for our good, but it's more than our good. The things that are for our good are also for His Father's glory. Listen to what He says. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. Like the, the gospel is good news that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is good news. That is the message that was coming. That was the message, the message of his father's kingdom. The news of the kingdom of God. Think about Jesus and his Lord's, the Lord's prayer. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That, that in this, this is a message of good news, a message of hope, and it is what he was sent to proclaim. And so Jesus, in his ministry, you just have to know this when you read the Bible, it was for our good, but it was also for God's glory, chiefly for God's glory. Here's the next idea that I would show you. It's that Jesus' authority demands our obedience. Now, I just want you to go back up and think about him talking to those demons and that when he spoke, the demons obeyed. That he had authority over Satan. That he had authority over demons. Everywhere else we look in Scripture and we see Jesus speak and we see his authority, we see obedience. Jesus in his authority, when he makes commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, love your neighbor as yourself. That wasn't a suggestion that was a command, and because he is the author of all things, the creator of all things, we submit ourselves to those commands. 
That's true of the rest of it, the commands of Scripture. That's, that's true of, of, of what he tells us. Listen to this. This little passage, you may not be very familiar with it, maybe you've never heard it. It's called the Great Commission. Jesus came and he said to them, it's the very end of, of Matthew, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. So here we see again, like I have this authority, and with all the authority I'm, I have, this is what I'm telling my followers to do. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And so... For those who are in this room who profess Christ as Lord, you are saying, hey, I'm a follower of Christ. Jesus is my Lord. He's the ruler. He's the one in authority. He's given you a command. And this is the, the chief of the commands, the, the great commission. And what does it say? With his authority, go therefore and make disciples. Make radical, reproducing, lifelong followers of Jesus. You make disciples. You make them in all the nations. Later in the book of, of Acts, we see he says make them in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That there's, there's this outward profession of faith that comes with following Christ. And that is, that's the, the, that the ordinance of baptism. That we would, we would submit ourselves to that. That we would say, hey, I'm dying to myself and being raised to walk in a new way of life. And that we would teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. That, that that's part that's like we're observing, we're obeying all these commanded, commanded because of his authority. And then there's this blessing that says, And lo, I'm with you always to the very end of the age, that my spirit then is going with you, carrying my authority. And so to the believer in the room, so the person who confesses Christ, my question to you today is, do you believe that he has the authority? And if you do, are you being obedient by going? Are you making disciples? Are you willing to share the gospel with your neighbor, your children, your co-workers? Are you willing to take your life and to pour it into others to make followers of Him? Are you willing to serve in the church to, to do that? Are, are you willing to go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth? Are you open-handed with what the Lord would have you do to say, Lord, send me to the very ends of the earth? To the person in the room who isn't a follower of Christ. Maybe today you're hearing about Christ's authority for the first time, but I want you to understand the weight of his authority. Listen, our struggle, our struggle in following Christ is always going to be to let him have control, to let him have authority. That's going to be it. It's, it's always going to be well, the, the struggle of calling him Lord saying he's ruler. I want you to understand something. Christ sits on a throne, and that throne only has room for one person, and it's him. We don't sit on the thrones of life with God. We're not sitting on a love seat, chilling out with our homeboy Jesus, making decisions about our life. 
No, he's the authority. He's the ruler. And we submit our lives to him. Now, that may sound horrible to you. You may well, I want to be in control of my own life. I don't want to submit to him. But I'm going to tell you, it's the best decision you will ever make. Because God, in his loving mercy, sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for you. It was for your good. It's for your good. And the beauty of it is that it all brings him glory. So today, if you don't know Christ, I'm inviting you to, to, to say out loud that Jesus is the ultimate authority and surrender your life to him. Father, we love you and we thank you for your word and the authority of it. Lord, that when we open up your word and we read it, it reads different. It has weight. It has authority. It makes sense. It makes the world make sense. That we, we read it and, and we can see all the ways that people are speaking who don't have authority. The people who think they're gurus, who, who think they, they know, know how to live. And we, we see, how, how does that make sense? We can't reconcile it in our head, but when we open your word, we see that it makes sense. That it's authoritative. That it's enough to change our, our hearts or to, to look and to go that millions and millions of people just by reading your word have surrendered to the authority that you have. And so, Lord, may your word be a lamp into our feet and a light into our path that we would hide your word in our hearts, that we would consider you as authority and we would obey you and we would live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing a song of response. This is, this is the invitation to come to the altar, to surrender your life and to count Christ as the authority in it.
Amen. You can be seated. Thank you guys again for leading us in worship. Uh, man, if you're a guest today and you'd like to connect with Overland Church, we'd love to connect with you. You'll find uh, a connect, connection card there in the seat back pocket in front of you. You can scan that with your phone. Uh, you can fill it out. And then there's a box on the way out that you can put it in. You can give it to me. I'll, I'll find you a book or some, some piece of swag or something and give it to you if you fill out that that card. And if you've got a, a next step to make, whether it be uh, placing your faith and trust in Christ, wanting to know more about the gospel, um, uh, baptism, discipleship classes, membership, you can also indicate that on that card and we will follow up with you. Um, man, let me just say thank you so much for your generosity. Uh, in giving. We always say that you don't just give to the church, but through the church. Man, if you've seen any of the news about what's happened in Turkey and Syria, uh, man, there's, we, your giving is affecting what is going on there. And so uh, it's just a blessing to be, be a part of a big family that has lots of missionaries that helps us to be able to give all over the world. Um, over lunch today, uh, right after service for college students, right in there. It smells good. I'm not sure what it is, but it smells good. Um, this afternoon, 4 o'clock, if you came to Disciple Making 101, please come for Disciple Making 201. Man, it's going to be really good. I'm super excited. This, to be honest, this is what I have spent a ton of energy on working on this week. And so I look forward to sharing that with you. I think it will help people who are interested in making disciples really uh, propel them into doing it and doing it well. And so we'd love to have you come today. We're going to have a membership class coming up um, that's next Sunday, the 26th, 4 to 6 p.m. here. And so we typically do membership classes. We'll do them on Sunday morning uh, for two weeks, or we'll do them all in one shot. Uh, we're gonna, I'm going to be, this is like the first time I've taught a membership class since uh, 2019. And so with Buddy, Buddy transitioning out, Buddy teaches those, I've got to relearn how to do that. And so come, come laugh at me. Um, Big Kid Lunch, next, also next Sunday, uh, right after church. Students are going climbing at Whetstone. Uh, that is on uh, March 5th. Uh, I, I, I guess you go to lunch, come back. It's 12.50. Yeah, that's what that looks like. Ask Garrett. You need to know anything with that. And then foster parent panel. If you're interested in foster care and being supportive in that ministry, March 5th, 6 to 7.30, uh, right here in this room. So we would love, if the Lord's laying that on your heart, we would love for you to be uh, a part of that. I'm going to ask Andrew McKnight. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Buckley's clever. Imagine that. Uh, she's always clever. Ice cream, you scream, we all scream for ice cream. Big kids. I guess that's what the big kids lunch is. 3.30. No, that's something different. That's an event. 3.30. That's probably not even a Sunday, is it? That's like a Friday night. Friday night, 5 to 7. There you go. All right. Show up, Show up and eat ice cream. I don't really know why, but... <laughs> you can find out that day, I suppose. All right, let's uh, pray, and then we'll be dismissed. Lord, uh, it's good to be gathered with your people. Thank you for what you're doing here at Overland. 
Lord, as we open your word, thank you that we serve a God who we don't have to wonder, are you mediocre? Uh, Lord, you are all-powerful. You created the heavens and the earth. Lord, you control it all. And uh, when you speak, there's authority. Lord, as we go out and live our lives, would we remember that? Would we serve a God who's big and a God who controls it all? Lord, uh, be with us today. Be with us this week. Lord, it's all in your name that we pray. Amen.